The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We are going to have a great time in this series. Um, this time of year, obviously, Christmas starts to ramp up. I mean, as Sarah said, like Halloween happens, and from Halloween, well, actually, it's kind of like Halloween, then Christmas, then the, the buns are out, and then it's back to Halloween, and then it's Christmas. Uh, but we are getting inundated with Christmas stuff and all the, the things go up in the shopping centers. Um, but for the Christian, for those of us who would call ourselves Christian, um, and for those of you who might be in the room and maybe you're not a Christian, for the Christian, uh, Christmas is about the fact that we have a God who keeps His promises. And despite what the, the, the culture wants to say Christmas is about, uh, which is not necessarily bad things, uh, we don't want to overswing and be Grinches, uh, we want to wear Christmas shirts, and we want to wear them to church and be excited about it. Um, but we don't want to lose sight of what Christmas is really about, which is about a God who is faithful and continually keeps His promises to us. And God is an incredible promise keeper. Is He not? I remember some years ago, uh, grade 12, I was playing in the state championships of basketball, and we did this three-day competition where we went to school, we slept over at school, um, and basically you would get driven to Karina every day, you'd play your games every day, you'd come home, you'd sleep over at the school, and that would just happen day after day. And my mum promised me that she would pick me up at five o'clock at the end of that Friday. And so we get home, uh, we get to school, and uh, you know we get all that gear, I get out the front of the school, I have my, my sleeping bag, I have my bags, I've got my basketball, and five o'clock comes and there's no mum. 5.30 comes, no mum. Teacher comes over, do you want to make a phone call for all of you kids in the room? Uh, there wasn't a thing called a mobile, right? You actually had to walk to like a thing called a building. And you had to get a phone that was on a wall and you had to pick it off the wall and dial. And the only way you could get a hold of your mum was if she was in another building which had a similar (laughs) phone on a wall and she just so happened to be there at the exact same time that you called. And if she was, she may answer. But for whatever reason, my mum didn't answer. So six o'clock comes... Some people start asking me, like, hey, do you you need a lift home? I'm like, it's fine. My mum has made me a promise. She loves me. She will be here. Seven o'clock comes. Eight o'clock comes. Nine o'clock comes. Then all of a sudden, like a whole bunch of, like, training day Denzel Washington cars sort of come along with just gangsters doing this. And and it was just, like, people shining torches. Ten o'clock comes. 11 o'clock comes, and again, there's no mobile phone, and now that building in which you could have made a phone call is locked. 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, at about 3 a.m., another gangster car rocks up, and this time I'm sure it's Denzel Washington going to shoot me, and it's my mum, and she is so excited to have picked me up and remembered her promise to me as a 17-year-old boy who's just like in his sleeping bag, got a, got a basketball for a pillow. And I was reminded that a promise delayed is not a promise denied. She promised she would pick me up, and she did. 
This is sometimes how prophecies feel in the Bible, though, right? It's like God said he would do something, and then time happens. And seven o'clock comes, and eight o'clock comes, and nine o'clock comes. This is how many of us sometimes feel about God. It's like he said he's going to do something, but it seems to be taking him a while to do that thing. And this is what we have in this book of Isaiah. We have a time when uh, the people of Judah are basically rebelling against God. They're not listening to God. It says uh, that they are deaf and and they're blind and they're resisting God and they're being rebellious. And then into this narrative comes Isaiah who warns them, but he also is going to give them a promise. And this promise is going to take 700 years to come true. Not just like a 10-hour period of waiting, uh, 700 years. And in fact, the, the prophecy, a lot of commentators debate as to whether uh, this prophecy is being fulfilled now in Jesus who already came, or whether it's ultimately going to really be fulfilled when he returns. And the way the prophecy works in the Old Testament, it's, it's like when you go uh, and you see a mountain range. And you look at a whole bunch of mountains. Remember Carly and I, some years ago, we went uh, trekking through Thailand. And every day you would go for a trek and you're going to get to that next sort of mountain. And you're going to stay with another tribe of people. You're going to eat with them. And then the next day you'd get up. And so you would see these mountains from ages away. And it looks like these mountains are quite close. But then you'd walk the 50, 100 Ks, whatever. You get to the mountain and then you realize actually that second peak is a long, long way away. And this is kind of how prophecies work in the Bible. And so there is this word of hope that comes from Isaiah to these people. And in Isaiah 6.10, Isaiah speaks to these people in Judah. He says that they are deaf, that they are blind, that they are refusing to listen to God. And he is warning them of the impending disaster that is going to come at the hands of the Assyrians. But he also gives them this word of hope when you get to Isaiah 7, 14. He says, but there will be a virgin that will conceive and bear a son and he shall be called Emmanuel. See, the Bible is always very honest. God is always very honest. God is not going to sugarcoat our lives. Okay? Um, God, is, God is not giving us all participation awards. Okay? Uh, God is going to be honest, but then God is also so hopeful. Disaster is coming. The Assyrians are coming. Listen to me because a child is going to be born. And then at the end of chapter 8, this is sort of before we get to our text, he warns them, he says this, he says, They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will uh, be enraged and they will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And they will turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is what is coming, Judah. This is, this is a very encouraging word, right? It's like, hey, listen, this is what's going to happen. You are going to be in famine. You're going to be struggling sociologically, psychologically, uh, emotionally, physically, relationally. There is going to be darkness all over the world. Don't look to human wisdom, which is what they're doing. They're looking, it says, that they are looking inward. They're looking to mediums and channelers and astronomers. They're looking to political parties and political leaders with political policies to come and save them and rescue them. And God says, don't do that. Look up. Stop looking in. Stop looking out and start looking up to me because I am the great promise keeper. And then this next passage that we're about to start 
in verse nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, it actually starts with this word, but. But is one of the greatest words in the whole Bible. It's an incredible word. It's a word that is used over and over and over again to say, this is reality, but this is going to supersede that reality. So all through the Bible, there are lots of but gods. Some of you have heard me talk about many of these because these were some of the things that give me hope. Genesis 8.1, but God remembered Noah. Joseph in Genesis 50.20 says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Exodus 13.18, but God led the people around the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Acts 13, 28 to 30, and though they found him not guilty and worthy of death, uh, they asked Pilate to have him executed. This is speaking of Jesus. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 7, 5 to 7, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting, and, uh, fighting without and with fear within. But God comforted us, the downcast. And one of my favorites is uh, Ephesians 2, which says, We are dead in our trespasses, verse 1, dead in our trespasses, verse 3. And then verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So there is this build-up in Isaiah that's going, hey, listen, God is, God is amazing, God is good, but you are turning away from him, you're not watching, you're not listening, you're not wanting to follow, you're wanting to be rebellious, and so trouble is coming your way, however, but God. Some of you, I don't know where you are right now in your story and in your journey, but you are going through some things and you need to hold on to the promise of but God. This is happening to me, but God. This is what I'm going through, but God. And so what this uh, writer in uh, Isaiah, what he wants to do is he wants to show us these are the things that God will do. That God loves us so much that he is going to bring his light into our darkness. That he is going to bring his hope into our hopelessness. He is going to bring his strength into our Weakness, And then I love, it says here, chapter 9, verse 1, it says, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. I love that line. Galilee of the nations means this thing is not just for Israel. It's not just for Judah. This hope, this light that is going to come into the world and shine is going to be for the Gentiles. It's going to be for all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, and all ages. The hope that Isaiah was speaking into this context is the hope that you and I have today. It is the hope of but God. And this hope is for you 
and me. So number one, we see what uh, God is doing. And then number two, we see what God's people enjoy in this passage. This is kind of where we took off from uh, in the video. What do we see? We see that darkness becomes light. Verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. Or other versions will say, the light has dawned. If you are a Christian in the room, are you not glad? Are you not happy that God shines his light upon you? That it doesn't matter what we face, we still have hope. We are not a people without hope. And listen, we're, we're living in a time where we are filled with anxiety. Pre-2020, pre-pandemic, we were an anxious people. How much more so now that we're two years deep into this thing are the anxieties rising on the hearts of people? But God, the ruler of all things, he knows what he is doing. God is not in this moment worried about what's going to happen in our nation. I don't know, if you, I don't know how you feel, but God doesn't feel that way. God knows what he is doing. God has a plan and God will execute his plan. And I can tell you from history, from the Bible, God is going to shine his light in this nation. He is going to do something incredible. It may not look like how we think it would look like. It may not be like the way that we want it to be like. But he is shining and he wants to shine into your life. Gloom becomes gladness. What follows this light? It says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Last week in our volunteer rally, uh, the great and wonderful and powerful David Weber, give it up for him. Now, let, let's try that again. Give it up for the great and wonderful David Weber. There you go. Okay, Dave. I'll work on him, Dave. Uh, Dave was, was leading us in a devotion last week, and he just had this line, which I've, I've just stuck with me all week, is that sometimes good news becomes old news. That we, we, we hear the gospel over and over and over again. So often as Christians, we hear it, we hear it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, Jesus died for me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he's forgiven me. Yeah, I know. And it's why the writers of the Bible keep saying, so I'm going to remind you. I'm going to say it again. Because you don't know. And you need to know again. You need to know anew. This thing called Christianity leads to joyful people. Because we are not alone in our struggle. We are not alone in our country. We are not alone in our relationships. We are not alone in our work. And I want to encourage us as a church, let's be a church that says good news is always good news. And the more we hear it, the more excited we get about our Jesus who died for us and rose again to give us life. And his light is shining upon us. And let Christmas, this next month leading up, let your mind go to the great lengths of your great God. And it says this, says this that they will be before you. This, this rejoicing, this joy is before you. That idea of before you is because God is present with you. And then look, it says that they have this victory, which is one. Isaiah looks back into two particular parts of the uh, Old Testament story. The Exodus. So he says, for the yoke of his burden 
and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. All language that any Jewish person hearing that would go, we know you're talking about the Exodus. When we were enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 years, and all they did is make us work every single day, every single day, and when we didn't work hard enough, they made us work harder. And so they enslaved us and enslaved us and enslaved us. And that is the picture that is the opposite of your God. Our God does not put burdens on people. Our God takes burdens. Our God says, give me your burden. Let me carry your weight. Whatever it is that you are going through, I will take it on. And then he goes to the Gideon story, where it says, you have broken as on the day of Gideon. Uh, of Midian. This is the story of Gideon, who basically, if you, if you read the book of Judges, this guy has no business being a leader, and he has no business winning, winning a war, and every time he kind of gets his plan, God shrinks his, his armies. So they get less, and they get less, and they get less. Why? So that God could say, actually, all victories are my victories. This is not about how big you are, how strong you are. This is about how big and strong I am. Verse 5 says, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. This is, this is God saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to smack down. Oh, I love the smack down. I don't know if some of you love, there's some pictures in the Bible that as a bloke, I'm just like, yeah, let's put it into a movie. Let's watch that as a four-part series. Just smacking down. This is what I want. Are we allowed this? I know for some of you, I know that Home Alone's your favorite Christmas movie, okay, for Carly and I, is Die Out. And we have watched it, our 20th uh, anniversary is next year, we have watched Die Hard every, every Christmas Eve for 19 years. And it's going to be amazing, it's going to be great. Uh, I don't know whether I should have said that, some of you are like thinking about walking out the door, but it's just the way it is, it is the greatest movie of all time that is a Christmas movie. Anyway, Fletcher one day will watch it with us and it'll be good. Uh, but the last thing, and I think this is where we want to land in our series, is it tells us who God is. How will this victory occur? How will this battle be won? An infant. A baby. That will be born. Vulnerable, weak, crying, smelly. <laughs> Some of you are like, I know this all too well right now. How will his plan be executed? What is the hope of this nation and the future world? A child will be born and a son will be given. Now, a lot of things have changed in the last 20 years with technology. Just with development of just, like, for example, some things that have changed is there's a thing called baby moons. I, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this. Uh, when I had children, there was no such thing called as a baby moon. Uh, a baby moon is like before you have a child, the concept I think is your life ends or something after that. So you, you do your last big hurrah and you go on your last holiday. Yet everyone who does a baby moon, I'm seeing them like six months later going on another one. So I don't really know what's going on. But this wasn't our deal. We, did, we didn't have a baby moon. Like things have really, really changed. Uh, now we have these like epic engagement videos. Have you seen these? And they go on forever. It's like, how, like, how, if I had done an engagement video, my wife would have said no to the proposal because she's like, there are other humans here watching our moment. Uh, but things have changed. We, we, we have to put this on. A big production 
costs about $14,000 and they've got the photographer and you've got the whole thing. Things have really, really changed. But something that has always been there as soon as photography existed is like the baby photo, the baby announcement. And we've got um, so many professional photos. I've actually got a few that have gone really, really bad. If we can put this up on the screen. There's some, these are ones where people have tried really, really hard uh, to, to get good photos and they've gone really, really bad. Um, but, but what we do, and now particularly with social media, we have like this, this first photo that we take with our bub and we introduce them to the world. We announce them. You know, Billy Joe is here, weighing, you know, eight pound four, born on this time. We've been doing that for, for endless amounts of days. What we never put in those posts is what they're going to be. I never went Fletcher Sims Lewis, born 12th of February, whatever it was, my man. I do love you, my bro. I can't remember how big or whatever you were. I know you're 12 years old and you are my son. Stay there with me. Um, and what I didn't go, future CEO of multinational, I didn't go like future AFL superstar. We didn't put that. The Bible goes, hey, God sending his son, this is what he is going to do. This is who he is. He doesn't just tell us like he was born at this time, he's born at this weight. He's like, no, no, this is his job description. This is who he will be. I love that because we can't do that. I can't say who my kids will be. They're 12, they're 11. I still have no idea who they're going to be. I know Brat is in there. Apart from that, I'm not sure what else is in there. But God is saying, here is the son who is coming. And who will he be? What will he be? He will be called Wonderful Counselor. He will be called Mighty God. He will be your everlasting father. He will be the prince of peace and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. For those of you who aren't Christians in the room, and maybe for those that are, if you could go back to before you were Christian, if I was to say to you, pick one word, just one that you would say to describe who you think God is. I wonder how many of those words would have been in there. Shane's going to do Mighty God next week. I think I could have got there before I was a Christian. I think I could have said big, transcendent, powerful. Okay, he's made everything. Obviously, he's huge. One word which would not have come to my mind was wonderful. Counselor. That would not have been something that I'd even thought about that the nature and goodness and kindness of God would be for me. But here's what it says. It says that he is, he will be the wonderful counselor. So what does it mean that God would be our counselor? Well, in this room, in this church, we have numerous incredible people that many come to for counsel, that we text and we call and we say, hey, can I catch up with you for coffee because I need your wisdom, I need your insight. In this room, we have multiple professional counselors and psychologists in this room. So I'm really scared right now about what I'm going to say because they're going to email me later. What does it mean that God would be our counselor? I think about my own experience and my own journey with going and seeing a counselor for the past eight years. For two years, I went every single week. 
What did that experience of going to somebody who would counsel me, what did they offer me? I think the first thing that they offered me was a place to be heard. I needed somewhere to go where I could just say, this, this here is me. This is all of me. And over time, as trust builds, you feel a sense of more safety where you can come and say, this is what I'm going through. I think this is how I feel. And you're allowed to say things like, I'm angry. And as as a pastor, sometimes I've struggled with being able to be honest with my own emotions because I can rationalize what Christianity should mean that I should do. Well, I shouldn't feel that way because I should be like Jesus. Right? And there's a sense in like, I needed a safe place where I could say, no, I'm, I'm actually... I'm actually hurt by that. that. That actually is frustrating me. And when you go to someone and you, you are going to them for counsel, they are giving you their ear. They are listening and creating, creating a space for you to talk. This is how the Bible speaks of the transcendent one. Read the Old Testament and just, just highlight the Old Testament in your Bible How many times it says that God heard them, that God heard their cry, that God was listening to them, that his disposition was towards them. God hears both our desperate pleas for rescue and our spontaneous request for smaller needs in life. In all things, big and small, God is turned towards us. This is amazing. Do you know that you have God's undivided attention. Undivided. Because he's God, he could literally right now be here and give everybody his undivided attention. God is not in a rush. God is not looking at his watch and going, the dings aren't going off for the next appointment. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I've got to cap you here because I've got another one coming up. That's not God. I'm sorry. Look, the time's up. We've been here for 45 minutes. Got another client coming through. That is not God. God is sitting there and he is attentive to you. The question is not whether God is listening. The question is whether we are feeling like we can open up and talk to him. God is your counselor. Speak with him. Talk with him. Sit and get a journal and just write how you feel. He will listen. Not only will he listen, he'll give you wisdom. So when I went to my counselor, I was asking like, hey, this is what's going on now that we've kind of unlocked the thousand layers to Kylum. Um, now what the heck do I do? I have no, no tools in my toolkit to be able to handle this anxiety thing. I don't know how to get out of a cafe. I don't know how to de-escalate what's going on in my body, help me. And my counselor is able to go, here's strategies, here's tools. Have you thought about? And this is what God is like. God is the all-knowing one. He knows everything. How many of you have ever been stuck for a long time in a traffic jam? Five of us. The rest of us, we're just on motorbikes, are we? Yeah, yeah, we hate you all. Every time you go past, we want to just open up that door. I see you coming. Bang. Oh, look at that door opened. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, 
when, when you are in a traffic jam, you, there's, there's something that you wish you had. You wish you knew the best route to go so that you can get off the highway and get home quicker, yeah? Well, guess what, everybody? We have someone. I have someone. His name is Chopper Dave. See, Chopper Dave is in our church. Some of you don't know who Chopper Dave is, but when, whenever I'm heading to the Gold Coast or wherever I'm going for a bit of a drive and I think there's going to be traffic, I shoot, I shoot up a message to Chopper Dave. And Chopper Dave, who can see the beginning from the end, sends me screenshots, sends me updates, turn here, go there, turn there, and then I get my done for all the motorbikes. When we are stuck in life, when, we, when we're like, I don't know how to go forward, I don't know which direction to turn, guess who you have in your corner? You have the one who sits up above all things and can see the beginning from the end and can tell you where to turn. Because he knows all things. If you'd like Chopper Day's number, come and get it. I'll give it to you after. <laughs> Isaiah eleven two. it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord is for you. Isaiah 28, 29, This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. There is one person in history who has not needed counsel. His name is God, and he knows all things, and he says he will freely give his wisdom to his people. I can tell you the amount, like I probably couldn't put a figure on the amount of things that we've gotten out of and the bad decisions that we could have made that we didn't make because we have a God who gave us his wisdom. And sometimes that wisdom came direct from the book. Other times it came from others that are in our circle who we trust, who are giving us uh, mature Christian wisdom, say, hey, think about this, maybe think about that. But God is saying that his wisdom and his counsel is for you. And then one of my favorite things that I think a counselor does is they help you to see. A good counselor won't necessarily give you all the answers, but over time of having all the questions and all the dialogue, at some point your eyes go... I see. And your eyes are opened and you can see things that you have learned about yourself. You can see things that you need to change. You can see what the actual problem is going on the inside of you. Notice in the book of Isaiah, previous to this, he has said that they are deaf and they are blind. In other words, the light is going to come, but something more needs to happen. I must open their eyes to see the light. And this is spoken of, of Jesus all throughout the Bible, that he takes the scales off the eyes of the unbeliever and he helps us to see the things that we couldn't once see. And so God is our counselor He's offering us wisdom. He's offering us direction. He's offering us guidance. But ultimately, he's opening up our eyes so that we may see. But it doesn't just say that he's a counselor. It says that he is wonderful. Again, if we'd gone back to before you were Christian, or for those of you in the room who aren't, if you were to describe God, I wonder how many of us would have said the word wonderful. I say it now because I've walked with God for 20 years. But some of you don't know God as wonderful yet. Uh, next year, we're going to go through the book of Exodus. 
going to be in it for a little while. It's going to be good fun. There's a story with Moses in chapter 33 where Moses is asking God to show him his glory. Show me your glory, Lord. What is God's glory? Like if, if we had someone come to Australia, they'd, they'd never seen a basketball in their lives and we were to explain to them what a basketball is, we could give them some descriptors, right? We could say, well, it's this round thing, it's pumped up with air, it's kind of got a few lines around it because the air's in it, you can bounce it and you put it in your hand. You can kind of give them something to give them some idea so that at some point if they were to see a basketball, they could kind of go, oh, I think that's a basketball. What about the beauty of God? What about glory? How do you describe beauty to someone? Just so I get some points today, I just point to my wife and go, that's beauty. No support in the room. That's, that's very disappointing. <laughs> oh. What's interesting is that when Moses says, show me your glory, what God says is, cool, I will make my goodness pass before you. He doesn't say, I will make my power pass before you. He says, great, I'm going to walk past you and what you will see is beauty, wonder, goodness. This is God. God is beauty. God is goodness. God is wonder. And then he goes on to talk about showing mercy and showing grace the glory of God literally is just the manifest beauty of God. It is God's goodness, God's wonderfulness on display. Jonathan Edwards, who's an 18th century preacher, he's known for this, this sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And often he gets pitted up as like this fire and brimstone preacher. But if you read his works, that's not actually the case. He says this in one of his sermons. This will come up on the screen. He says, There is no love so great and so wonderful as that which is in the heart of Christ. He is one that delights in mercy. He is ready to pity or have compassion on those that are suffering in sorrowful circumstances. He is one that delights in the happiness of his creatures. God loves you being happy, enjoying life. God actually takes delight in seeing his children enjoying his creation, enjoying his common grace to them. One that delights in the happiness of his creatures, the love and grace that Christ has manifest does as much exceed all that which is in the world as the sun is brighter than a candle. And parents are often full of kindness towards their children, but that is no kindness like Jesus. In other words, that is incomparable kindness to God's kindness towards our, to us. Why do we love beauty? Why do we love sunsets? Why do we Instagram certain things? Okay, I don't get why you Instagram your gym session, but other things. Okay, why, why, do, why do we Instagram meals? Like, why do you take a photo of that meal? Because you're saying there's something beautiful about this meal. 
This was amazing. Why do we love sunsets, sunrises? Why do we love being on the beach and hearing the waves and the waves and the waves and the waves? Why do we love seeing darkness and looking up and seeing the stars? Why? Because we were made for beauty. We were made to delight in the things of God. And ultimately, because we were made to delight in God. This is what draws us. It is his beauty. In his book, some of you have read uh, the book by uh, Ray Ortland's son. I forgot what it's called. Gentle and Lowly, thank you. I don't have it in my notes. Uh, but in there, he talks about the fact that it's, it's not God's, God's like transcendence that draws us. It's his heart that is soft and gentle and lowly and kind and draws us in because when you meet God, you meet a person, as Jonathan Edwards would say, we meet someone who is most excellent and lovely, of excellent majesty and of perfect purity and brightness. In other words, God is wonderful. Can I just say, as the band come up, for those of us who are in the room and we are not Christians, Don't necessarily become a Christian because you fear what might happen to you if you don't. Become a Christian because you have seen God and He is wonderful. And He is beautiful. And He is amazing. And He is gracious. And He is kind. And He is good. Go beyond just the fear of what could be. Because fear will still cause you to kind of come in, but with relentlessness. And that's okay. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But come in and see his goodness and his kindness. See that he is wonderful. And church, if you are here and good news has become old news, hear again today that God is goodness to you. He is beauty. He is wonder. Meet with him. Talk with him. Enjoy him. I cannot tell you there's not a moment in my life where I spend time with the Lord and I leave his presence and go, well, that was a waste of time. It never happens. When you spend time with God, you come away and you are fueled again. He is good. He is gracious. He is kind. He is wonderful. And this word wonderful often in the Hebrew is also transcended, uh, translated in a way that he is supernaturally miraculous. That is, that he's not just wonderful in his nature and his character, but also in the things that he does. That he works wonders, because he himself is wonderful. And he does incredible things. And this child who is on his way 700 years is going to come into the world and work miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after wonder after wonder after wonder. And all of these people start going, this is the one that is wonderful. The religious people don't do anything for us. The political people don't do anything for us. But this baby that is born is now the God-man does wonders for us. Amen? Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. 
We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.